0: Digital Stratosphere provides expertise and best practices to help.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to having this conversation around project restoration or recovery um, with our managing director here. At Third Stage Consulting Group, Adam Cheatham. But before we get into it, this is supposed to be an interactive conversation. At Third Stage, we're incredibly mission-driven when it comes to diversification and bucking that trend of eighty-plus percent project failure. So I brought Adam on to talk to us not only from a delivery standpoint, in when clients or our network engage us, when when um, our projects are are in an, an area in which they need some triage, but also from an expert witness perspective and looking at how our independent and technology agnostic stance in the marketplace helps us to actually act as expert witness when the case, hopefully not for any anyone listening here, but it does happen, goes to litigation. So with that, thank you, Adam, so much for joining us. Will you give us just a quick introduction, your background and your role here at Third Stage?
0: Yeah. So, uh, my name is Adam Ziedem. I'm I'm managing director at third stage consulting group. Um, and I play a number of different roles. Uh, first and foremost, my primary roles is the day in and day out orders of business, right? When we have projects, software implementations and and the like, I help work uh, strategically to direct those teams and the teams and give the teams the tools that they need to be able to help our clients implement their software effectively. Um, other parts of my job include the idea that, um, a lot of our clients come to us because their implementation is failing and finding out how to just redirect that and, and, and bring that onto a more successful trajectory. And then I also am one of our expert witnesses at, at the research consulting group where I um, provide analysis to attorneys who are trying to um, conduct a root cause analysis of what went wrong and, and, and why so they can then determine what it is their case looks like in court and in, in courts and things like that. So. Um, a whole slew of different things from uh, from that perspective, but the 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 goal is always to focus on the business, right? Um, whether it's implementing well and preparing for that, what does your business need, and what's their capacity for being able to support this implementation from a remediation perspective? How involved have they been, and how uh, how successful have we been in that? And then from uh, an expert witness perspective, and understanding how did it go and how did the business do on their side of it, um, as well as how did the, the partners and the integrators do, um, all with a focus on what happens with the business, right? If, um, if there were no negative business impacts, people wouldn't sue each other over failed implementations. So the goal is not to have that, and my job is to help our clients achieve our third stage of digital transformation success.
1: Absolutely. Well, definitely a very front and center seat to why um, digital transformations may fail or where projects often need um, to be restored. So a lot of people don't know this about Third Stage, but the majority of work that comes to us is a lot of times projects that they're either aren't sure if they're on track or they know that they're kind of in the red and they need to write the course in order to be successful. And that's why they come out and engage Third Stage um, so what what does that look like or what are some main indicators that your project may be in the red or in trouble that you might need to consider restoration strategies?
0: Yeah, that's a really a very good question. And there there is a whole lot wrapped up in that. I would say, first and foremost, if you don't know your projects in the green, it's not. Uh, that's generally a safe assumption. If it's not being reported, is all green, and you know that there's a reason that it is, and and that you have confidence in in that reason. The likelihood that something is amiss is pretty high. Uh, now, that kind of relies on the idea that implementations don't happen by accident; they're very deliberate in nature, and they take a lot of work. So, if you're not sure that all of that work is being accomplished to the expectations that you have. The likelihood that it isn't is pretty high, so that's that's one thing. If you don't know, then you should be worried. Um, other things that start to think uh, make me think that things are, are wrong, or clients who say things. Uh, well, the, there are the obvious things like, right? We were supposed to go live in twelve months. We're now looking at month thirty-six. Right? Like, obviously, there's something wrong. Um, there's also the the challenge of, um, well, it was supposed to cost a million dollars, and now we spent two. all Obviously, something's wrong, right? Um, in some of those cases, it might be the, the expectations were set poorly up front. Uh, I don't know how many times I've had a system integrator uh, tell a client that their implementation is going to happen in 12 months, and then 18 months in, client is wondering why they ha- haven't gone live. And part of the answer is, because you were never gonna go live in 12 months. That was a fantasy to begin with. So there's some of that to, in play there too, but the, um, where you are in comparison to your timeline is important. Um, other things that are, are things that we look for and analyze are um, how do I know my project is proceeding on time and on budget? Is it because the days are changing? And we're now one day closer to going live. And so we're one day more complete. That's not really technically true. Um, now it may be for you because the work is being done, but what you want to be tracking is percent complete regardless of timeline, right? Um, so one of our our recent clients that we were working with, um, has been tracking more of the, well, we're just, we're a month closer to, to going live. And that's why we think we're, we're going to be there. So that's not exactly what you want to be looking at. You want to be able to say, we had this many tasks to complete, and we are approximately 50% done with those tasks. So we're approximately halfway there. So those are the, the, the um, some things that are, that are useful and helpful. Um, another great example of things that might be reasons to consider whether or not you are on track or off track, it's the, um, the testing cycle should give you a lot of information uh, on where you're at. It's, that's late in a project to find out whether or not you are or aren't on track, but it does give you a feeling of where, where we're at, right? Are all my scripts failing? Yes or no. If we built a whole bunch of uh, functionality and none of it works, that's a problem that should tell you something. So you can look at your test results there as well. And first round of testing is never a hundred percent accurate, right? It's never a hundred percent built perfectly. Uh, frankly, you never go live with a hundred percent, perfect build. There are you know, defects and bugs are a reality of life. That's why Microsoft teams ruins my life every week or so with an update. Be careful. <laughs>
1: Microsoft already doesn't care for you after your great planes. <laughs> my great plans
0: yeah. Well, no, that's more the system integrators. So there's that, but, um, there there are a whole bunch of different ways of of looking at whether or not your implementation is on track or not. And many of them should be based on how much work is actually being done versus how much work should be done already. And that's really what you want to be tracking. At the end of the day, um, if you're going to build a house and somebody says it's going to cost me a hundred thousand dollars to build this house, and they say, "All right, now you spend eighty thousand dollars building it, and you come out, and they've poured the foundation, and that's it." You probably get an idea visually of percentage complete versus actual spend. They should be very, very well in line. Percentage complete and percentage spent should be pretty close. Um, one other thing that's worth thinking about as you're thinking, as you're considering where you are, is how are your requirements being understood by your system integrator? Uh, we did a, a pretty significant uh, remediation for a client that was uh, one of their biggest challenges and one of the, the red flags that they came to us with that we, we keyed in on was, I don't think they understand what we're asking for when we say that we want certain things. And the... Uh, through discovery on that, it was okay. How do you know that you don't think that's Well, when our in our design workshops, we ask for this, and then they say they're going to build this, and they sound the same. And then when we get out and they show it to us, it's a hundred percent different than what it is we need. There's that's some that's not just a uh, a challenge in in getting things together. That's a problem in your system integrator's ability to understand your business. That's different and is a significant implementation red flag. Now, in other cases, your system integrator may be understanding you quite well, and they may be representing that. And then as they start to build things, they start saying, all right, this is custom, this is custom, this is custom, and then they build you something, and it doesn't get all the way there. Um, You know, we, we recently started a project with an organization that was in more of that bucket where, it's it's kind of a now we don't exactly know where this is going to fall from a functionality perspective, what module it ought to be in. And it seems that it's not the ERP. But it is a significant enough piece of functionality that it would need to integrate with the ERP, and I don't know where I'm going to get that functionality from. And so for them, their challenge is how do we how do we complete that loop and saying it's gotta go out to something else. I don't even know what the something else is yet, but I know it's not ERP, and that's gotta loop back into the ERP, and that's what we're gonna part of what will help them with, So Those are all more nuanced ways of knowing, um, that are different than the well, I'm obviously twelve months past my original time.
1: Well, let's unpack those a little bit because that was a lot of great information, but I think summarizing the specifics would be helpful. So you talked a lot about the relationship between your vendor or system integrator, another partner that essentially you're helping on your implementation team. Something that was said by one of our clients recently that really resonated with me was Third Stage came in and healed our relationship with Vendor X. And so that's a lot of time what we see when it comes to the need there for remediation, restoration, is to really understand, speak the same language as you mentioned at the vendor, understand the outputs with the system integrator, and then also just be able to get involved in the relationship and make sure everyone's working together. Because a lot of times, once we come in, it's not a great relationship sometimes anymore. There's been a, a lot of mistrust there. So can you tell us a little bit about how specifically from the vendor relationship angle, how do you ensure that your project is going to stay on track when you might have some issues within that relationship?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I'll avoid the, if you think you have issues in that relationship for a minute and just focus on what you ought to be asking for. So um if you ask a technical user or technical team member to do something non-technical and be good at it, you're asking a lot, right? Just like if you ask somebody who is more of a business user to do something technical and they're not good at it, right? But the idea here is to match up the skill set with the need of the of the role, um, uh, one for one, right? And the way we think about it at third stage is is a team approach. I like to talk about an implementation network that's a that's necessary for actually doing a good job at this and you need the technical team. Yes, you can't avoid it. You're implementing software, right? Somebody's going to write code for you and that's okay. It's not going to be your business users uh, by any means, but it is going to be somebody technical so you want that skill set and you want to leverage it well and then you want to stop and say what other skill sets do i need and how do i fill those with with folks that have high competencies in them so if you ask a technical person to make business decisions and then they're bad at it you shouldn't be surprised often people are surprised because they assume that because you're good at one thing you're good at another and that's just simply not the case and the, the way that I like to think about it is um, in a sports analogy right if you take um, we'll take American football for example and say I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna take my quarterback and I'm gonna replicate them and I'm gonna have a team full of quarterbacks they're gonna play every single position and you are gonna lose every single game they may be great quarterbacks but they're not great tacklers they're not great blockers or anything like that so surprise surprise when they try to tackle somebody it's a disaster ask Peyton Manning he's tried to do it before and it's pretty hilarious there are videos all over YouTube about that so yeah he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time he's not a good tackler, which is fine we don't want him to tackle we want them to do something else. But we do need people who can tackle. So let's go find that skill set and fill it with fill that role with that skill set. When we think about that from an implementation perspective, what that means is I want my technical team to do a technically good job. And then I want to have a program manager who's good at program management from a global perspective, not just from a vendor perspective, because your vendor will give you a project manager and say they're responsible for making sure that your project is, is moving along. They're only worried about their own software. They're not worried about your change management work stream, your process management work stream, your data management work stream, all of the other third party vendors that may be involved. They don't care about any of that. They're gonna write code and they're gonna say, I wrote all the code, we did all of our job and we're done. And then when you don't, when you try to go live and it's a disaster, they say, well, it's not our fault, we did our job. and they're not wrong you know there are other holes in that in a lot of cases and so the goal becomes who's the right position for that who's the right uh, person to fill my change management role? who's the right partner for my PMO who's the right partner for my managed services portfolio? that might be a more technically oriented role but you had to ask all of these questions so that you get all the right people doing something that they're good at and not asking them to do something that they aren't or shouldn't be good at.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I think that that's so true for any project, no matter it's a very healthy project or it's one that needs some additional support from experts. So in kind of digging into that, if you do have fractured relationships and you're looking at these competencies, but you just have lost kind of the trust for your vendor What are some ways in which you can heal that or really, you know, triage how to make that relationship successful again? Should you be looking for a whole new vendor? Should you be looking at firing your SI? What are some um, pieces in which you you really have to kind of target that issue?
0: Yeah, so there there are a couple of pieces and I'll take that kind of in reverse order. Um, Looking for a new SI might be on the table. Your system integrator might be bad. And there have been scenarios where we've done where we've helped clients finish the projects with a bad system integrator. And okay. and and that's okay. It it was a it was a mess the whole way. We finally got live and then for phase two that system integrator was not kept. And that's fine. Sometimes you're kind of pot committed on that where they know us now. We're two thirds of the way through this so we kind of got to power through because it brings somebody else in. It's a, it'll cost us more money than it will be to, than it'll cost to, to finish this out, and there's a significant risk that we'll never go live if we just keep swapping out system integrators. So, changing your system integrator is not something that we take lightly. Sometimes it is necessary. It's early enough. Um, it's a pig enough of a of a train wreck. Those types of things to to pull the plug. That's that's a, a challenge. The next thing in reverse order is your software vendor people that sell you your erp if you're talking about changing erp vendors because your implementation is failing it it should be because you can say we picked the wrong software and some of our clients come to us and and say that um, it's usually after they go live um, and say yeah we this isn't the right fit for us we can't get out of it fast enough and that's okay and we'll help them find the right software vendor but when you're really thinking about replacing your software vendor, you're thinking about changing your ERP and chances are you're already signed up for a five year deal on your licenses. So changing them, whether it's two years or three years into your implementation because your implementation is failing is is still something that you're going to have to pay the, the remaining licenses in most cases, at least uh, a, a significant portion of them. Um, you can negotiate some of that back out, but it's difficult to do. Uh, so we don't often say in the middle of an implementation, you should change your software package, that's, you, you picked the wrong one, because that's just money that's flushed out the toilet. We want to make good, good use of what we've already spent. So then the, as, as we're kind of thinking about it in reverse order, thinking about the roles and responsibilities that can be rehabilitated, um, let's say in um, the the scenario that you're using, we actually the system integrator was the vendor, and that stayed the same through the rest of the implementation. Is the same person, same company today. Um, but the difference is, we just simply stopped asking them to do things that they weren't good at, and we started doing them instead, because we are good at those things: program management, change management, backfilling, all of those types of pieces of the puzzle. Um, Freeing up the business to participate in the implementation itself, and then having a good program management change management program, all of those things were things that they were asking the system integrator to do that the system integrator has no business even trying to do. Um, they'll try they'll offer to do it because they'll make some money doing it. There's a revenue generation on that for them, but they just didn't have the skill sets for it. So we put those skill sets in our hands because we are good at them and ask the the vendor and the system integrator to do what they are good at which is write software and all of a sudden they're 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 doing a great job software configuration and and all that stuff is is going very well and the relationship is a hundred percent different because we're just simply not asking them to do things that they can't
1: and that's when kind of third stage comes in and helps identify those types of things because it can be very complex right to as you mentioned, not know what you don't know at the beginning of a project, and not be able to really identify those. Those are really nuanced things that not every you know business leader or project manager has the ability to identify um, because you're not implementing software every day. So it makes a lot of sense, you know, that you would you would need some support in identifying that. So we we talked a little bit about the external factors that can go into the need for a project res- restoration initiative. What about some of the internal factors that might have little to do with the third party vendor, but have a lot to do with the business processes or the culture or internalization within the actual client?
0: That's a great question. And as you think about internal factors, uh, the first is, do you have a PM who is dedicated to this project? If you don't, then you're doing something wrong. Um, and, it, you know, ERP implementation should have a program manager dedicated to it on the client side. And that's whether or not you have other PMs involved from the vendors and, and third-party companies like us. Um, so that's thing one. You don't have that role filled. You're doing something wrong. Uh, the other part of it is the competition between the the, the life of the business and the implementation itself. Um, We have a lot of clients who struggle to dedicate time to their implementation because they all have day jobs. Business doesn't stop because you sign a contract with an ERP vendor. Uh, Many of them would like to think that the world stops without them. (laughs) But um, that's a different story. At the end of the day, if if you don't have the sufficient resources on your side to dedicate to it and to, to pull into it, that's a, that becomes a problem. And if you have that problem, there are a number of different ways of, of approaching it. One of them is just to slow the pace of the implementation, which, um, can be an incredibly unpopular recommendation because now all of a sudden is, well, we were going to go live in June and now you just told me I got to slow down. So now I got to add more months to it. If you'd make that decision now, you can work with your system integrator to soften the cost difference on that as well. So um, I promise you it'll be better to add six months to your implementation up front and, and take it at your own pace than to find out you're not ready to go live and you've been running hot the whole way anyway. Um, it will cost you more money to add three months at the end of your implementation and, and do it then then it, will add, then it will take to add six months planfully early in the process. It just is that way. So if you're not able to dedicate the resources at the right uh, appropriate level, then slow down to a level you can accommodate, right? If you need to dedicate a team of five at 40 hours a week and you tell me you can only have them 20 hours a week and you only get four of them, okay, you just – doubled the the life of time, but that's fine. If you're going to take your team and say you can have those people for 20 hours a week instead of for 40, then you you just added more time, right? That's fine. But you need to tell your system integrator that too. Because if your system integrator is planning to have you for 40 hours a week and you give them 20 for six weeks and then say you can't do it. They spent their six weeks, their last six weeks at full capacity planning on you doing that. And you just wasted a bunch of money. What they could have done is drop their capacity by 50% because you did and match you in that reduction. And that cost comes down. But the cost is the cost. um, And the work is the work at the end of the day. So if it takes 20,000 hours to implement a software system, whether or not you do it in six months or 60 months, um, the, you have to get through all the steps. And if you spend a lot of time up front on fewer steps, you just waste money.
1: And already in a situation where you're having to add additional budget, right? Or having to move budget yeah. because you're, you're in a, a situation where you're implementation is not successful at this point. I, th- I think that's a, a big piece of that is you have a plan. So how do you reconcile with having to add resources, having to add costs, but at least you have, you know, a plan in which you're going to triage the situation as opposed to leaving it up to chance, not actually fixing that root cause that you referenced. So I think that's, you know, that's really good insight and really, really good advice. So let's go to kind of the, the polar side of what happens when a project restoration or a digital transformation fails. So we know from a lot of our industry stats that even in 2023, um, over 80% of digital transformations failed. And 70% of that had to do a lot of times with people and resistance within the culture or user adoption. And failure, of course, is on many different levels. And a lot of times your expert witness work is on a very severe level of failure in which they're actually seeking damages from whether it's the system integrator themselves or the client or whomever, right? So can you talk a little bit about kind of what you see when it gets that bad, when a project is in that bad of a, you know, all communication has stopped, work has stopped, and or the project has been implemented, and it's not achieving maximum business value, what happens in those types of situations that you actually get to the point where there's you know, litigation happening?
0: Part of it is it becomes a miss on timeline, right? So um, implementation is going overly long. The budget is way over than originally expected. And so everything stops and they say, all right, forget it, we're not gonna finish this. Um, I'm not gonna pay my licenses anymore. And I'm not going to pay the last invoices. I'm going to actually sue you for the ones that I have paid and get ba- get money back. So that's one scenario on that side. Um, the flip side on that scenario is software vendor says, "Right, but you signed a contract, and so you owe me money for those licenses." We're go- there's nothing in there. This and um, I, if somebody could show me a software contract that says. If, you, if your project is not successful in going live, you don't owe us money, um, especially in a subscription services environment like they are today, I'd, um, I'll, I'll make our, our COO bet for you. I'll buy a beard the size of your head because it really is, it doesn't exist. There isn't a contract out there that I've seen, a system integrator, or not a system integrator, a vendor being willing to, to sign which says, if my software doesn't go live, I don't owe you money. But everybody's assuming uh, during the honeymoon phase and all the contract signing is going to be great. It's going to be fun. I'm excited that everything is going to go well. So you sign that contract saying I'm, um, I'm going to pay all these licenses, fees, because I'm going to go live in a year. And then three years later, you come back and you say, I want my money back. And System Integrator says, nope. And um, your vendor says, nope. And and I'm actually working with a client right now where they actually had even to the point where the the attorneys for the vendor told them, you're right, we did tell you that that software can do something that it cannot do. We told you that. You're right. But you still signed a contract. You still owe me money for licenses. So no, you are not off the hook. So we're helping them figure out what their software ought to be. And then um, providing a little bit of guidance along the way on what it, what it might mean to help chip away at, at what it is ill. They They're going to have to pay something. Everybody has got to put a little bit of skin in the game. Um, and there has to be a reason for the vendor to want to come back and say, all right, you know what? I will take less because I'm going to get some more somewhere else. Right? Yeah. So there's a balance. But we've got to help figure that out for them. And that's that'll be a fun challenge.
1: Gotcha. Certainly. That's all great insight. And we kind of talked about the internal pieces, the external factors, and then ultimately what can happen if you don't engage in making sure that you're writing the ship before the project kind of goes off rails. And so if you are looking at starting an implementation project or you're considering a selection, what are some strategies you can do kind of in that phase zero that we talk about to ensure that you're not going to need to uh, invest additional budget, restoration, all those different things in the beginning to ensure you're set up for success?
0: Yeah, so if we're we're talking about what can we do ahead of time to understand how it is we implement well, um, you want to take a look at all your business processes and understand them. Know where your pain points are and then how it is you plan to fix them. Um, your pain points may be systems requirements for your for your new erp they may also be different types of challenges that need to be fixed differently right it's you can't fix a business problem with technology you have to fix the business problem and then you have to plug in technology after it's fixed and one of the uh the great examples i like to use is i had a client that was um they were forecasting their production planning their final goods production but not their intermediaries they weren't Forecasting for sub assemblies, and they couldn't figure out why it is they were having problems with their supply chain running through all the way to fulfillment. And it's because they had a black hole in their planning for their sub assemblies. They didn't plan it, they didn't forecast it, they didn't expect it to be in, in inventory as far as like, I need, I'm going to have this many of this piece and this many of that piece on this date. They just assumed that it was going to be there. When they started final goods production and so they expected the software package to fix that actually that's not going to fix anything it's just going to change the problem to a new system you have to start forecasting for your intermediaries early and start doing that piece of it and then plug that forecast and production plan into the forecast and production plan for finished goods Software is not going to fix that for you. It's just going to move the problem. So knowing where it is your business problems are and what's going to be technology focused and what's not is a key part of it. uh, Putting up a good change management practice early and then managing it all the way through is also a great thing to be paying attention to. Um, And then the last thing is to make sure that you are understanding who you are as a business and what your strategies are to select the right software package prepare well for it structure your PMO to support an implementation that's set up based on realistic expectations and then search projects and then that way you have all of the tools that you need to manage it well and keep an eye on how it's doing so that if you do start to have issues and you will implementations are hard they will have they will there will be problems and that's okay um, you at least are able to identify them as they come up and then fix them along the way, as opposed to realize that there were problems way late in the process.
1: Absolutely, those are all great strategies. And I I will say those are included in our phase zero checklist, which will pop up here as a QR code. It's also in the description wherever you're getting um, this video or podcast. Um, but thank you, Adam, for sharing all of that information. Um, if you are interested in learning more about our restoration work, we have a, a case studies on our YouTube channel that you can actually go client by client of how we kind of helped ensure that 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 implementation was optimized for success. Also say you can reach out to Adam directly at adam.cheatham at thirdstage-consulting.com if you do have questions about what that looks like or any of the examples he gave today. Um, But thank you, Adam, so much for joining us, and we will see you next time.
0: Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.